All right, other thing is, yesterday, we were fortunate enough to have somebody take my kids and, like, not be with, be with them. Um, so that was, uh, that was a blessing. Because, oh, because, because yesterday was our 11th anniversary, and so, yep, yep. I would, make, I would make my wife stand up, but I can make fun of Josh. If I did that, she'd be like, yeah, that was a fun 11 years. So, uh, so I, won't, I won't do that. But, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a blessing. And so also blessings, listen to God's word. So we're going to get a chance to jump into Ephesians, kind of recap big picture of what Paul has been talking about and kind of narrow in on the text that we, that we have for us uh, today. So let's go ahead and um, let's, let's pray and ask the spirit of God to bless our time together as we worship together through his word and communion and song. Father, we thank you so much that we can gather as your people. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, anoint this time by your spirit, that we would be aware of the presence of God that is here, and that your Holy Spirit would communicate to us as a body, as a people, and individually. I thank you, Lord, for those who are here that, that wouldn't call themselves Christians or would follow Jesus, God, that you would, um, you would show yourself to be beautiful and good as you are. And um, for those, Lord, who have been around church but have never really really connect it with Christ, Lord, I pray that you would, you would give them that opportunity through your spirit. And Lord, for those of us who know you, Lord, but have our own doubts and issues and are weighed down by sin, Jesus, that you would, you would give us life, that we would, we would be able to live into that victory that is yours, that you give us in Jesus that we just sing about. And um, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for this moment, and I pray that you'd lead us, Lord, to a moment of responding to you and remembering uh, the broken, uh, the body of Christ given for us in his shed blood, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have these phrases, we have these idioms in our culture that we use that, that we all know. Like, we know the, the, um, the early bird gets the worm. We know, like, what goes up, right? We know these things. Or uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... And we all know that that's not true, <laughs> right? Um, for whatever reason, we learned that as kids, like, sticks and stones, are, but words will never hurt. And the reality of it is, like, words hurt like heck, Right? Like, like a lot, a lot. Like when you think about broken bones, which I was trying to think of it this morning. How many bones have I broken? If you count that I've broken a couple of bones more than once, probably like 12 bones, right? Um, and five surgeries. Like I'm dying up here, just so you guys know that. But uh, there's like, you might have a scar from a surgery or something like that. It'll tell a story. And scars, broken bones, like they, they give you like, the, you can remember the time. Think about words is, words don't just give you a memory. Like they like make you relive, relive things. So positive, negative, it makes you relive things. Like, you remember certain words for the rest of your life, right? So I think about when I was nine, eight or nine years old, um, the two things that happened to me. One was negative and one was, was, was really positive, actually. The negative one was when I was nine years old, I remember the first time um, somebody, another kid, had called me the N-word, right? And I just remember what that felt like. I remember the anger, the rage, the sadness, the shame, like just all of those things that, that just welled up in my nine-year-old body. And just like the fact that he would even say that, right? Wherever he is right now, God bless him. And so there's, a, just, just, there's, 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 there's another part of that. That same year, um, I had played football. Now, I didn't really want to play football. And like back then, you didn't have like flag football. You just played tackle football. Um, and... My mom was like, you're playing tackle football. Or she didn't play, there was no, she didn't have to say tackle. You just knew it was tackle. So she said, you're playing football. Did I ask to play football? No, I didn't ask to play football. My mom signed me up for it. And you said, do your parents are forcing you? Yes. There's a lot of things my parents forced us to do, right? And somehow it was okay back then. And so there's, we show up, we do tackle. Because my mom grew up in the South. She grew up in Mississippi. You're a boy. You love Jesus. You play football. Then you die, right? And so there's, there's that, that was it. And so on this team, I met this kid named Ryan, who turned out to be my best friend, best man at my wedding, just an incredible, incredible guy. 
Well, after football season's over, we're hanging out together at his house, and his dad goes, hey, Ricardo, are you going to play football next year? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't even, What's next year? You know, I'm nine. And so, uh, and he goes, well, you should, because you're a really special player, and I love watching you play. And I'm, uh, <laughs> right? And I was like, did he just call me, uh, what? Because no one had ever, like, called me special in anything. I, I think the school had put me in some special classes, but there was... <laughs> There wasn't like a special title that was like, you know, like, this is amazing. So I, I'm honestly, as a nine-year-old, I did not love football. But after that, football, like, I, I'm married to the game, right? That's just what it was because of these words. And so you have words that can break down, and then you have words that can build up. And that's not just individually, right? You can think about that even for the context of a community. Like, I think about the community that we were raised in before we moved to the suburbs, two wildly different communities, and the language of teachers, authorities, so forth, and expectations on each community were wildly different. So in the community that I was in before, in the inner city and the church we grew up in, like, there was a lot of thought that you don't make it out of here. Like, at best, what you do, you graduate high school, right? That, like, that's where the bar was. In fact, in our church, when you graduated high school, what we would do, you know, California schools graduate in June, so that June would roll around, and if any of the students were fortunate enough to graduate, we'd bring them to the front of the stage. It would like, be a big Sunday, like, hey, like, such and such graduated from high school. They made it. They made it out. They're not in gangs. They're not, I mean, like, it was just like, you know, like, they made it, and then we would pass around the offering plate and divide the money up that day, a love offering, which is what we called it. <laughs> they still call it that, and, um, and give it to these individuals because it was like, you made it from high school. Like, you made it through high school. Like, that's an achievement. Mind you, now, we had moved to the suburbs, and it was a completely different expectation and mindset. Like, like making it is not just getting in high school. Like, that's the bare minimum. I remember graduating from eighth grade, and Ryan, the friend I just talked about, he goes, man, we, we still have eight more years of school, right? Because, because in his mind, he's like, we got four years of high school, and then we got four years of college. Now, no one told him that you actually get five years in college, right? And so he didn't know that. I was like, let me tell you something you don't know, right? So like the expectations, because of what was spoken, what was communicated, what was seen, that there's certain words in some ways that we look down on places like this. And even ourselves, if we don't come from or live in communities like that, we say things like those places are ghetto or this is that. And we don't realize those are people, right? And yet those words are there. And we don't realize why people do the things they do is because we speak it in existence in some ways. Right? And so not that any community, like these people were good, these people were bad, or vice versa. No, they're just people. And then we have what the gospel speaks. And the words and the comfort and the joy the gospel speaks is that what we've been seeing is Jesus actually brings the other world into this life, and he's creating a new community. And the community that he begins to create, as we have seen in Ephesians, is an eclectic, diverse community. That you have people who are rich and who are poor, who are black, who are white, who are Democrat, who are Republican, um, who have and who don't have. And somehow they're a brand new community. People who feed their kids off Whole Foods and people who feed their kids off WIC. That you have both that are in this particular community. And there's no location of this community that's based upon zip code or income, a bracket. It's actually based on the location of the gospel. And so wherever the gospel of Jesus is preached, believed, repented, and believed upon, you have this new community that Paul has been talking about. This particular community that God is saying, I so desire you that he is reconciling heaven and earth together. That I so desire you, God says, that he is sending his son Jesus to stand in our place that we who were far off might now be now brought near. 
That this community that he says that he's taking Jew and Gentile and he's doing something that had never been done before and he's making a new man, that language, a new society, a new community. And we see this is all rooted in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that this gospel community is a radically different community from the world around us. And then Paul says, let's paint a picture of what this community looks like for those who are in Christ that those who have now, because of the gospel, that the old self has been taken off and there's a new self that's been placed on. And there's that imagery of like um, what used to be gone and what is now to be present. And then he has a picture that he paints. And he says, this is what this community rooted in Christ begins to look like. It's a community that doesn't lie to each other, but tells them the truth. And not in some trivial surface way but literally honors the true self and gives the true self as broken, as invulnerable as we can be, that we could be honest because it's a community of grace. But it's a community that has anger, but not a reckless anger that just flies off the handle, but an anger and, um, and, and a p- position and a posture as a people that get angry and upset when things are not the way it's supposed to be. And with that, a community that knows that not everybody in the community are going to be angry over the same things. There might be some people in the community may be angry over a particular injustice that others may not get. But that doesn't mean they step aside, but they actually step in and they actually learn from each other in mutuality. That we have this community that Josh talked about last week that doesn't use the gifts and the talents that we have and to rob or to steal or only the fat in our own pockets, a.k.a. make money just for ourselves, but actually use the gifts and talents that we have in our particular vocations to be able to bless the community around us that begins to display the love of Christ. And all of these things in this community is is, is rooted towards unity. The very thing that Paul has been talking about week after week after week after week, it's still how do Jew and Gentile become one in Christ and live as one in such a way that they show off the glory of God to the world around them. That's what we've been talking about. It hasn't just been, don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Because that's not what Christianity is about. It's rooted in Christ and now his people that begin to display his glory in broken ways, but ways that are still filtered through the lens of God's grace. Amen? So when it comes to what we have, particularly in this text, like words matter. They give life or they bring death. They build up or they tear down. So if you're with me here in Ephesians chapter 2, look with me in verse, chapter, chapter 4, excuse me, verse 29. Paul says here, let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he first says, let no corrupting talk, or some translations may say unwholesome talk. So let's deal with the, like, the most obvious thing that people go to here. Usually this text stops here, and people want to talk about what are good words, what are bad words. Don't say bad words. Say good words. Um, and, and, and we have certain words that we would, we would normally say these are bad and these are good. When the reality of it is... Um, even culturally, sometimes those are different. Let me tell you the words that you're not supposed to say. I want you to no, I'm not going to say. <laughs> right? But here, here, here's, here's one thing that was, that, was, that was new for me. So um, I grew up in a deeply spiritual church. I mean, I didn't really accept Jesus until later, but um, it was not uncommon to, like, using the Lord's name in vain. That meant a certain way that I think it does for many people in this room. And here's what I mean. And I'm going to try to communicate this without offending anybody, but that's impossible. There's too many of you guys. 
Uh, and so we, when I, when I got, became a Christian and people would have me, like I grew my faith a little bit, people would have me speak or whatnot, I would say things. Like it was very common that like Susie was singing. It'd be, it'd be very common for someone like, good Lord, though, she could sing. Oh my, oh my God. You know what I mean? Like, and so you would say that like, dang, she was, yeah, that was dope. That was good. That was amazing, right? Um, and when I would speak, people, like well-intended people would say, hey, just so you know, when you just spoke, you used the Lord's name in vain. And I was like, I, I did? Did I say G? Because G? to me, that's G, you know, GD was like what, what you would, and I'm like, wait, what a minute. And I'm going, wait a minute. That's not even the same, like most black churches, that's not, a, that's not the same. And yet you're telling me now I'm using the Lord's name in vain. Are you telling me that they don't know how to worship Jesus? And it's just confusing, right? That like we usually can't like really just even agree on the language. The thing about it is that's not Paul's main point right here. Like, when we, when we start talking about, like, certain languages to use, certain words to use, right, I go back to my mom. My mom is born and raised in Mississippi, raised us in California. She moved back to Mississippi because she's, she's straight out of Mississippi, right? And when I say old school, the first time I said a cuss word, it was, was the last time I learned my lesson, never said it again, right? She, what did she do? She took a bar of dial soap and she put it in my mouth, right? Like, you were able to do stuff like that back then, right? And it was okay. And everyone was like, yeah, I'd, I'd do it again, right? I know now it's probably, if it's organic, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're like, we don't even have bar soap. It's like, get the Meyer soap, come here, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you have, you have wildly different. So she did that to me, and it was like, yeah, you don't, don't say these words. Now, if we only stay there, what we hear Paul saying is, don't say bad words, say good words. And that's a part of it but it's not the actual heart of it. Hear me on this. That is a part of it, thinking about how to honor God with your words and so forth, but it's just a part. It's not the heart. In fact, let's go back to that word corrupt because the only other times you see the word corrupt or unwholesome, um, when Jesus is, Jesus is talking about it, and usually when he's talking about it, in fact, every time he's talking about it, he's talking about a bad tree that produces bad fruit. He's talking about something that is spoiled, something that is rotten, something that does no good to anybody. Like, it's, it's, it's not healthy, it's not good. It stinks, it's messy, it's like no good. Don't let your words actually be used in such a way to spoil the community, to rotten the community. So, so think about your words he's saying. No, don't, don't let it go there. And all of us have used words that we wish we can get back. Right? Right? All right, time out. Last week, Right? Josh preaches. He says, turn to your neighbor. And I'm like, did he just say turn to your neighbor? Because that's, that's black preaching right there, right? You guys haven't responded to me for the seven years I've been here. I've been a black preacher this whole time. We bring a culturally ambiguous person from Portland, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're in it, right? So, so talk to me, all right? We all have said things that we wish we can get back, right? Thank you. I know I'm not the only one. So we've all said things we, we wish we can get back. And, and different, different cultures, they do things differently, right? The way you do humor and jokes. And humor is a good, like, I love humor. I think it's a gift of God. The thing about humor is you're always, like, that close to actually really offending somebody, right? Um, and as somebody who, who, who loves it and appreciates it, like, you know, you go there. And I've noticed that different communities do, like, humor and things differently. So, like, I'm not going to put, like, race or ethnicity to it. But the community that I'm from is... is uh, 
What? Some of you, listen, listen, hear me out on this. Because some of you are going to go, oh, okay, I get it because I'm part of that, that community too. We like making fun of people, right? And it's kind of like a way to go, I love you, right? It may not, those counselors and therapists in the room, like I know it's not the most healthy thing in the world, but it's fun, right? And when, when, when Holly and I got married, which is, by the way, get used to this, Josh's wife is named Holly, my wife is named Holly, so just realize that we're talking about two When I say Holly, I'm always talking about Holly Stewart. Uh, so when Holly became married to me um, and was around my family, she'd say things like, I can't believe you just said that to your sister. I'm like, what? Like, what? And she's like, would you ever say that to anybody? No, I would never say that to anybody else, but that's my sister. Like, if I didn't say that, she'd be like, are you okay? Are we still good, Right? And so you would make fun of people. You would say, you know, like, what's up? Look at that, you know, look at those shoes. Look at that shirt. You know, what would you get that from the baby gap? It's too small. It's a, I, which, honestly, this is a really tight shirt, so I could be clowning myself right now. Man, is that an extra medium you got on Ricardo? Like, right? And it's just kind of like, oh, okay, you oh, are you talking? Look at that shirt you got, man. You know, whatever, right? And it's kind of fun, and you kind of get into it. However, there's moments where you can use humor intentionally, but it's, you know it's not funny, where you're trying to cut somebody down. Like, I know this is going to hurt you, so I'm going to say this. Some communities do it that way. Other communities are not exempt. I've noticed in other communities that I, that I run with, um, it's not the humor of making fun. It's actually sarcasm, right? And so at least this one, uh, never mind, none's not better than the other. Uh, <laughs> sarcasm be like, oh, oh, nice shirt, right? right? And if you don't get that language, you're like, well, okay, all right, thank you, right? No, that's not what they meant. And whether it's just cutting people down or bagging or joking or clowning or sarcasm or whatever, there's a level that when it's agreed upon, you go, okay, that's pretty good. But when it's not and you know you are intentionally trying to cut somebody down, another human being, especially in the body of Christ, Paul says, that's rotten. So I woke up the other morning and something smelled in my house. And it was one of those things like something's bad in this house. I left I went to go. Uh, I went to go. Uh, I went to go work out. That's why the shirt fits this way. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> and I actually went to go play basketball. Came back and walked in the house. I'm like, man, it still smells. And you have to go through that, like, okay, where, like, is it in the, the garbage disposal, in the trash can, the refrigerator? And it was something that was in the trash can. And so you have to take that out, go throw it away, and pretty soon it doesn't smell like that anymore. All of us got to look at our own hearts because Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we have to go and look at what are the rotten things that are in my heart that I naturally begin to say and speak death about people. Like taking it that serious. Like, that, like I speak death about people. Like I have to go sniff that out in the name of Jesus and rid that of, of, of myself, of our community, so that we don't have that stench and that aroma of death as opposed to the aroma of Christ and grace and life. Amen? Like, that, like that's, that's the picture. Paul says don't let this, um, this corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Come back with me again. To 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But he says this, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul doesn't say, don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but let good talk come out of your mouth. That would just be behavior modification. And the community of God is not built on morality. Like, should we be moral? Absolutely. It's not built on just nice manners. Should we be, have manners? Absolutely. It's built on not the things that are on the external, but things like desire and affection and belief and ultimately love. So Paul goes talking about the external, this rotten fruit, but then he transitions to say, but this is how we ought to do. We should have a heart of love that whatever we do, 
um, that it flows out of a posture to be able to build up into love and to care and the ways that we've been loved and we've been cared for. That the grace that we've received from Christ's undeserved gift that he's given us, that now we should begin to dispense this grace to others primarily when we use our words. And we have to do this in such a way as it fits the occasion. Now, Paul finishes this particular section, and he says this in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, when he says the day of redemption, he's talking about like redemption. There's past, present, and future tense. Like that sense that we've been saved. Those are in Christ. Those sins have been forgiven. And then we are growing into the likeness of Christ that God is redeeming us. And then there's this future tense of the day of redemption in which God will complete that. That that's not completed, but the down payment, the seal of the Holy Spirit is that imprint on every single man, woman, and child of God where God says, you matter and you're mine. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, let's deal with that a little bit because you've heard don't quench the Spirit in other texts or you hear don't grieve the Spirit. What are we talking about here? It's don't do or not do the things that God says. If God says do it, do it. If God says don't do it, don't do it. And there's this picture here, if you can have an image of the Holy Spirit, um, those who are, who are parents and you have multiple kids and you watch your kids not get along. As little kids right now, where my kids age, they just, just fight, that's fine. But when they become older and they don't get along, there's a sadness you have because you know that's not how you raise them. That's not what was given to them. That's not the environment of which you raise them. And there's sadness, like they cannot get along. In this particular context, when it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, he's saying anything that brings disunity, when people are not being their true selves, when people are being angry in a reckless way, when people are actually taking their goods and putting in their pocket and not being generous with others, when people are using words to cut down or not using words at all, not building anybody up, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It speaks of, the, of God being a person, the third person of the Trinity, particularly here in the Holy Spirit, and being saddened when the people of God are fractured. And don't think that we're together because we sit next to each other. Like, that, that doesn't mean like we're together. There's a way to say, I'm not going to use corrupting words, but I'm not going to use any words at all. And sometimes it's the things that are left unsaid that do the most damage. That we don't, we don't really do life together. And when we don't really do life and understand how to be with people who are in Christ, who are wildly different than us, as messy and as difficult that is, it grieves the Holy Spirit. So what we're trying to accomplish as a church is wildly difficult to try to have a body of believers worshiping Christ together who come from different sides of the political spectrum, the economic spectrum, racial spectrum, and so forth, to be one, it's difficult. It's a lot easier to not do that. And I'm just being honest. If we're looking at the text and the spirit is grieved with disunity, then the spirit is sad when God's children can't get along. Not just be present in the same building, but actually be one in Christ together worshiping together, acknowledging Jesus and our flaws with each other together and community together. Amen? So, so he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So we got to go back to what would actually please the Holy Spirit. And that is words that are used to fit the occasion, having good, healthy, robust Christian community and fellowship. And we can say this is difficult. On one hand, because there's not a whole lot of examples out there. 
I think the way that they measure multi-ethnic or multicultural churches is if, if, you're, if there's one group of people that are um, like the minorities, they would say, that are 20%, like meaning if, there's only, if the dominant culture is 80% and 20 or anything less than that, then you would be considered a multi-ethnic church. Now, um, according to the surveys that we do in our church every year, we would be in that. And of those particular churches that meet that, there's less than, I think, 5% of churches, uh, worshiping communities in America that are like that. So there's not a lot, right? So you can say, we don't have a picture of it. The other reason why, and I think is actually more than that, is that we don't have very good imaginations. Like, I don't, I, like as Christians sometimes, we want God to spell everything out for us, and he doesn't. Like, he doesn't say, wear this, don't wear that, do this, don't do that. Like, we would love to be rules, but God didn't save us for rules. He saved us for relationship. And if you've been in a relationship any, with anybody, you know, they don't always give you, they don't always give you everything step by step, line by line, line by line. And if they did, if you're someone like me, you'd forget it anyway. So it's the relationship that you begin to know how to live. And so we don't have very good imaginations. We like leave imaginations for kids only. And then it's like, grow up, be done with that. But no, we need an imagination, an, an imagination of grace. And here's what I mean by that. It's not an imagination that is not rooted in reality. It totally is rooted in reality, but it's rooted in the grace of God. I'm going, how do we live out Christian community? Well, we can learn from kids. Like kids, are, they're pretty annoying and amazing, right? And I'm, I, I really do. I, like, I love kids. I really do. I love, I love most people's kids here. It's, it's, uh, it's great. So um, our kids don't believe in... Um, and I'm trying to say this in a way that, like, doesn't, um, we don't believe, like, our kids don't believe in the dude who shows up late December, right? Okay. And so they're not allowed to tell anybody else because we don't want to ruin it for their, their parents or, or, I mean, their cousins and you guys. You guys can lie to them later. And so we have, uh, we have this sense of, like, we just don't, but you can't ruin it for anybody else. However, my oldest son, if I was like, hey, just so you know, he's really real, He's too much of a realist. He'd be like, no, he's not. I mean, listen, I, the time that it takes this many people, like, it's not going to work. Uh, our youngest, because he lives in a different world, if I said, hey, Eli, he's real, he'd go, I knew it. <laughs> like, it wouldn't, even, it wouldn't even be, it just wouldn't even be a thought. We were, we were at an ASU game, and Sparky's running around, and, and, like, you know, kids love when Sparky, like, kids, like little, little kids, they're afraid of Sparky. The kids get a little bit older, they start liking Sparky because who doesn't want to be with the devil? And so there's, there's, there's Sparky's around, and I said, hey, do you know that Sparky's not real? And he goes, yeah. And he's like, kind of getting annoyed. He's like, yeah, I know he's not real. I'm like, all right, well, do you know who's in Sparky? And he goes, yeah, a monster. And I'm, and I'm like, what world are you living in, right? And this last one, like, just took the cake. I wish we could have videotaped this because it would have been like a YouTube video. Like, so... We're driving back from some practice, and he's in the back seat, and the World Cup is getting ready to start. And he goes, Dad, which World Cup team am I going to play on? And in my head, I'm thinking, Nigeria. Uh, and and, and he, 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 um, he's serious. And I said, and I looked at my wife, and I'm like, uh, and my nine-year-old's laughing, like, oh, your World Cup. And I was like, wait, buddy, you know, you're not you're not playing in the World Cup. And he's like, what? <laughs> Guys, he's crying. Like these big, like what? Then why, why did I try out for that team? Why are we practicing? <laughs> I thought I was going to, and like in his mind, it was like, I'm like, no, like, buddy, these are like world-class athletes, um, like literally world-class athletes. And he's just like, 
And he was just quiet the rest of the way, like dream shot. In his mind, why wouldn't I play? When it comes to kids, their imaginations are just healthy. You don't have, a kid doesn't need to grow up in a beautiful marriage uh, and home to know how to play home, house, right? Kids don't need to go, you know, my dad was perfect, my mom was perfect, now I know how to play house. No. I mean, they do things that they've never even had. I don't know how many young kids, boys and girls, have actually had tea, and yet they're like, you want some tea? Okay, got some tea over right? <laughs> oh, was that too much? My bad. Um, wipe that up for you, right? Like, there's an imagination. All they need is just enough, and they can build from there. We don't need to see a perfect community in order for us to strive for it because we have a perfect Christ. He's more than enough. Like the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than enough for us to, one, being created in the image of God, take the gifts and talents, the word of God that he's given us and the spirit of God that we should be able to reflect who he is with one another and have community. There's no such thing as a perfect community this side of heaven. It just so happened, though, that the other side of heaven is already broken in in Jesus and that we should be able to reflect that love. We, t- we say things about kids, like I said about my son, but he lives in another world as if we shouldn't. If we are in Christ, it says that there is another world, and it's called the kingdom of God, and it has broken in in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ. And that now those who are in Christ, we live in the tension of the real reality, but imagination of grace because we know what is coming in Jesus. That we now can do this and have words of encouragement that fit the occasion. And these words are not happy, clappy words all the time. I feel like we read this and we go, oh yeah, for the fits the occasion. It's always like happy clappy. No, you know why? Because life is not always happy clappy. I love the way Paul says, as fits the occasion. So many of us in this room, we know a particular person who sent us a message to let us know that her mom was just given three to six months to live. We have to find words and actions that build her up that fits that occasion. It's when the person who we know and love and trust comes to us and, and, and begins to confess sin. We have to know what are the words to build them up. You know what the words aren't? Hey, you shouldn't have done that. You know that, right? Yes. Yes, they know that. And, and, and instead, maybe words that say, I'm thankful that you would think that this would be a relationship of grace enough that you'd be able to say that. How can I pray for you and walk with you in this particular issue? Right? It's, it's knowing how to have words of tears because the Bible tells us this particular community has to weep with those who weep. And then also to have laughter and jokes because we also want to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. That it's a community that we don't know exactly what it looks like, but if we have an imagination of God's grace rooted in the work of Christ, we might just be on our way. So we don't know what we don't know about the person next to us, but the only way we are going to know is if we actually live, do life, love them, serve them, understand, and we stay one in Christ Jesus, even though we may be wildly different. Like, that's the picture that God begins to give us as his people to live into. All of this that Paul is saying, and now when we live this way, it doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. It actually pleases the Holy Spirit. And here's the other thing. We don't need to wait for the people of God to do something good for us to speak good about them. Here's why. That's not what the gospel speaks to us. God did not wait on us to do something good in order for him to move towards us. Um, The Bible says, yet while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. 
And the writer of Hebrews says that the blood of Christ was shed not only to forgive us of our sins, but the blood of Christ speaks a better word. So in some ways, the blood of Christ is speaking a better word on our behalf so that now that we who receive this same grace may actually speak a better, better word for the people around us as the occasion fits to be able to love and serve and build up the body of Christ as opposed to separate, fracture, and tear it down. Amen? Like we do this as we fumble and we stumble around trying to do and grab on this thing that no one can really grab called community, called discipleship. But as long as we're following Jesus Christ, and as somebody said that I always repeat, one beggar telling the other beggar, we both can find bread, we can do that collectively together, then we'd be all right. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great grace in which you have given us. We thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. We thank you that his work speaks and moves 2,000 years later after the resurrection. And that the power of the resurrection brings to us today the world that is coming. The reconciling power of Christ, the healing power of Christ, the restorative power of Christ, the forgiving power of Christ, God, that you've given us. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to have an imagination, Lord, that is rooted in the reality of today, but also in the reality of grace. To be able to love and to serve one another across all sorts of lines that normally divide, Lord, that you would continue in Christ to tear down that we may be one. God, that we may speak words that build up as opposed to tear down. That we would live our lives, Lord, around Christ, Lord, and be absolutely loved in him, and then from that position of love, love the people around us. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.